Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? Back and better than ever. Danimal, good, bad, ugly, where you want to start off with? Okay, I think I'll go, I think I'll go good. And I got to say, I think my first one and this, actually, this is probably, let's just cover this because it's got good, it's got bad, it's got ugly. And it's got to be the five labors of Jericho. We, we, we ran the gambit. Um, just finally wrapped up, but I, I, I kind of, I, I think it's worth probably going into a little bit of what made each labor either good, bad, or ugly. Um, so I mean, I guess, we got five of them, and I, I agree with you completely. It ran the total gamut. Like, some was amazing, and some was, uh, but. Yeah. So I guess for, for a good, um, I think I would probably jump off with, I, I love the concept, and I, I thought the first one was really good. I thought Sean Spears, who will probably get mentioned more in this podcast, you know, you just put him with a great, you put Jericho with a great hand, because I think while Jericho isn't who he used to be, that he, I don't think he can coax a match out of someone who's terrible. I think you put a partner like Sean Spears in there who can do the offense, who can sell like crazy. You know, the fun chairman gimmick worked perfect for the, like, we're stacking the deck against this guy. And it just really helped set the tone of, you know, it's always going to be the disadvantage, but they kept it reasonably, you know, it, it wasn't anything too gimmicky. It wasn't the, you know, one arm tied behind your back or the blindfold match or, you know, something that really did it. So that, that one, I, I'll start off with that. So that was, that was good in my book. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I've, I'm a huge fan of the chairman. I think that he's just that mid card, like you've described him as a mid boss in a video game. And I think that perfectly summarizes him. He's, he's just charismatic enough that you notice when he's on screen and performing, he's very talented as is everyone who's in the mid card of AEW. And I just think that gimmick is just so funky and funny. The concept of just this guy obsessed with beating people with chairs, but actually maintains like a pretty like professional appearance on, on top of that. He's not just some madman like one will mention with the further continuation of the labors of Jericho. So yeah, I, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Oh, I think it also is great because he's he's believable without the chair it's a gimmick that only like enhances or makes him more dangerous. And I think that's the thing is a lot of this time with gimmicks, it becomes the, you know, unless it is like a crazy spot and, you know, it's Shane McMahon jumping 40 feet off something. You're not really that impressed. Whereas with this guy, it's like, Oh no, you know, he'll, he'll beat you up and then he'll go to work on you. So no, I think, I think he's a great one. And yeah, I guess, I guess we can go, I, I don't know. Would you call the second labor? Do we want to go with that or ugly? I'm going to go with ugly. I think ugly is a fair one for this. I, I, I can't call it bad because there, there's one that I would classify as bad of the five. I, I think I know where you're going with that. So I like it. And I think, I think ugly is right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so we're talking about gauge right here. So yep. The death match came death match and first and foremost, how much do you love that Domino's pizza placement? in the middle of Jericho being raked with the beats, his trademark pizza cutter. Uh, probably one of the funniest moments I've seen of the, this year of wrestling thus far. But outside of that, Gage, um, as anybody who actually knows who he is, he, he is well-renowned within those deathmatch circuits. 
um, say what you will about them, but it is pretty cool that AEW acknowledges that that is a form of wrestling and that, you know, some of these guys have spent a small cup of tea in these divisions. So it's pretty neat that you acknowledge pretty much the guy who is the head all be all uh, since ECW has gone to the wayside and just in these indie circuits. And, you know, that's a type of match that's very, very difficult to introduce to the mainstream. And I feel like they, they did ride that line just well enough to where it introduced the elements that people associate with it, you know, the, the bleeding, the cutting, you know, the hyper violent maneuvers, the more utilitarian type of wrestling, more strike focused and less, you know, high flying and whatnot. So uh, I think they did an admirable job of, of recreating that style of match while also maintaining a level of safety that's important for a mainstream television broadcast. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think something I really enjoyed about it, having uh, been a little curious about it, I kind of did the like, you know, quick YouTube, do I want to watch any of this? And when I saw some of the run times on these death matches, it was just like, fuck no, I do not want to watch 30 minutes of two guys just like plate glass, pizza cutter, barbed wire, light tube, light tubes on top of plate glass. So I thought they did a good job in that, that it was kind of like they played the hits we, you know, had some legitimate cuts. We probably had a blade job or two. And then they wrapped it up. They gave us what we were looking for. We got to, you know, have MJF really hamming it up on the, the commentary and join Gage doing it. But they didn't drag it out too long. And I think that's kind of where you're right, that if you are a Deathmatch fan, you're probably going to be like, well, they hit the beats. And if you're not, you aren't in this just like, you know, thinking of, you know, some of the botched blade jobs from WWE where it was just like, you know, oh my God, this, this needs to end. This is getting uncomfortable. So I thought they did a great, and I, I, I think we'll be bringing it up more throughout, but um, the Judas effect through the light tube was really funny to me. Um, <laughs> I was going to say there's, there's two components that are important to acknowledge the hurricane runoff, the top rope through the plate glass that was that nearly was cool. a horrific botch that they somehow made, made it like last second adjustment. Cause that would have been embarrassing as all hell if that thing just exploded without anybody making contact with it really. Um, so, but that was a cool maneuver. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciate that it didn't go the full vintage uh, WWE hardcore match route where you have all those obvious tinfoil trash can lids and just garbage. The, it's just, look, he's hitting him with a hose. Look, he's hitting him with a trash can lid. Now he has a fire extinguisher. It's like, you don't really need that. Like the point, it's the essence of the death match. And you're absolutely right. Cause when you watch like some of those true indie deathmatch like backyard wrestling type things they are they're like two hours long and honestly half of it are guys psyching themselves up to be like okay i'm gonna jump off this barn onto the flaming mattress down there and i'm not quite ready to commit yet so we're just gonna kind of lock up here pretend like we're struggling but i mean there's a lot of that because it is it's like there's no way to fake some of that shit yeah now, so that, I think that was a good call for ugly, which is going to have to bring us to bad. Because for me, the third labor with Juvie Guerrero was just bad. I mean, 
it's Juventud Guerrero. Like the biggest memory I had of Juventud Guerrero, and mind you, this guy wrestled during some of my prime years of wrestling fandom, was when he was busted buck naked in a hotel room like all strung out and arrested before some pay-per-view when he was with WCW. Like that was my Juventud Guerrero highlight. So I, I appreciate again, that it was kind of neat, this concept of AEW kind of acknowledging wrestlers of the past. One big reason for that, like that I really think it's neat is these guys don't have a retirement package. So yeah. it's kind of a cool excuse to be like, hey, man, you did a lot of cool things and probably inspired a few guys in this locker room. So here's one last big payday before you kind of ride off to whatever house shows you've been, you know, making your bread with for the past few years. Um, you know, he, Hoover did much better, I'll say, than I was expecting. But when you pair him up with Jericho, who's at a stage in his career where if he can phone it in, he will. It's just not really how you want to spend your main event. And the, the stipulation being that it had to be with a top rope finisher and that one of the ones they utilized was the dreaded double axe handle, which is just jumping off the top rope and trying not to hurt yourself as you land on the ground with your hands in the air. Like I, when I saw that came up, I was just like, oh man, there's, you know, they're struggling. It's like, oh, he went with a, you know, a hurricane Rana, that's a top rope maneuver. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, this is this is high flying. My favorite one was, I believe it was with the uh the lion tamer or the, the walls of Jericho, where he it was like he caught Hoovitude and maneuvered into it, and they considered the counter to be a hot top rope maneuver. <laughs> I was like, okay, the second year the commentary team is lawyering up how they're going to make this finish happen. Now you have some problems. So, and, and I'm just going to put this out there to you, Danimal, and I want your opinion on it. But the Judas effect, I, I appreciate because I think all good wrestlers have, like all top level wrestlers need to have some sort of quick strike maneuver that could be like, okay, that's how you the match ends. And I appreciate the thought behind it because it is a, you know, it makes sense. It's unique. No one else is doing it. You know, it's not just like a running leg kick like a half the guys have now. But when you pair that up with Jericho with his 50 year old dad bodies operating with now, and especially on some of these matches where he's had to put in some effort, it's not really the most like exert, like just the execution sometimes like looks like it's just more of a flail than an actual like spinning elbow to the jaw. Oh, I completely agree. Like the, the one off the top rope that won the booby match, I it was just going back to myself doing like 360 catches going into the pool. Like you're not really getting like great <laughs> rotation, but it's like, no, no, this is going to count. And you run, you're like awkwardly spinning, but you catch the ball. Like that's where I landed on that. And yeah, you're right. It was more of kind of this, like, it, it made me think of like back in the restaurant when you'd like be in a hurry and you'd actually accidentally like just bust up some little like five, four waitress just like, oh God, turn in, like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Like that's that's kind of the way it looks more just this belabored like spin, like, oh man, didn't see you there, buddy. Like, yeah, all right. 100%. That's exactly what I think too. Like it, it never actually looks like this calculated maneuver he just pulled out of his bag of tricks. It honestly just looks like a confused old man that just like spun around and happened to catch him. And it's like, oh, I, I guess I should spin him now. So, I, I mean, I... I 
still think the five labors of Jericho were amazing, but if we're going to pinpoint a real bad moment, th this has to be it. Yeah, um, so kind of running through them, uh, I, th I think the Wardlow match, that's, if I gave it anything, I think I'd probably give it a, a good, just because it was the the demi boss. I think, you know, Sean, uh, the chairman is, he's, he's the mid boss. And then this is the uh, the Goro to Shang Tsung, if you will. Uh, you're always going to fight him right before. And it was, it was fun, you know, MJF was at ringside, which... I thought it was a really weird stipulation because it didn't actually do that much in the way of like swinging the fight, especially when he got thrown out by ref Aubrey. <laughs> so a little, little bit of a miscalculation on uh, what he was going to use his stipulation on. But yeah, that, that one was kind of, I think a little bit of a, the, like the pause, the breath before the big moment. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'll say anything, I would classify this one as good. Um, if only because I think Wardlow, I, I appreciate that they're kind of dialing him back a bit, just making him be just the massive, like, essentially, like you described him, like he's the Goro, like he doesn't need a personality. He's just a massive, scary dude. And just let him go out there and do massive, scary dude things. Um, you don't need him on the mic. You don't need him showing up in suits and, you know, parading around. Just, just keep him as the heavy, you know? Yeah. Um, and they both have ponytails. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And then uh, on top of that, too, it's like he he's made it through three now. You're on four. The last one is MJF. There's no way he's losing this match. So, I mean, it, it's it's kind of the like you said, it's the pause before the inevitable main, you know, finale. So, all things considered, it was admirable. It did the job. So then what, uh, what's your take on the blow off? Have you, have you been able to see the results? Do you know how it all ends? I have, um, you know, I, I, I knew what was happening with the stipulations with the, uh, the entrance and, you know, as much as we talk shit about that, um, that was kind of a cool concept. I, I definitely, I, what I'm impressed by and what I thought was also funny was the fact that Clearly, you could see people had to bring up the lyric in their phone because that is not an easy song to actually remember, like the whole introduction to. Like, it's one thing if you're just asking them to do the chorus, but the, the fact that they went through the whole thing was like, OK, that, that was pretty cool. I, I seriously did wonder if there was like a teleprompter, but just for that reason, in that like if you were to ask me to like sing like a lot of songs, unless it's like a top, you know, 15 of mine i probably am going to hit a few of those spots where i'm just like and and then kick into it like and that's how i felt like judas would have gone i would have been like and then just people yelling the judas part so yeah it was it was an impressive uh concept for sure i mean just the fact that like i've been to a numerous sporting events where you couldn't even get a stadium of people to like do the rock and roll part two, like just na na na, hey na na, like routine, <laughs> let alone the whole, you know, intro to the song Judas. So I, I thought that was cool that they tease it. And I, I appreciate the fans picked up on it. I'm sure there was some sort of social media component on it to get everyone on the same page to make sure that they didn't totally fuck it up because there was also a part of me that tuned in hoping that he would just walk out and there would be like this moment of him trying to hype people up and like 
the five super fans would be belting out the lyrics and everyone else would be like, who's this fat guy in the main event? (laughs) But they really have connected with their fans in in order to be able to pull that off. So that was cool. And it had the right ending. I mean, so I, again, I'm going to go good. I mean, it's, it's chalk, but it's, I, I thought the ending was good. It needed to happen that way. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing and this, this may be a good is kind of the what's next because you know, you, you really feel like this, it's the ultimate blow off. I'll never forget like after blood and guts, when they like tangled again and someone was like, you think it's over. It's far from over. It's like, I thought of, 40 minute match called blood and cuts sufficed is over so it's like yeah i'm thinking after the five labors of jericho and you know jericho doing everything to get there it's it's about time plus i you know i really kind of want to see what they do with mjf because jericho's that guy that you know he's he's got the rub now he's going to be able to go find someone else to feud with and they're going to get to be across from one of the great promos of all time they're going to get to have some you know pretty good matches but what does MJF do? Because now you've got, you know, a, the hottest heel in the company, in my opinion, because, you know, I think Omega and all those guys are good, but they don't have just that promo fire that you're seeing at MJF. So I'm just curious to see what, what his next step is. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go good for the, the labors as a whole with some real excitement to see what comes next. I think that this is one of those, like, embarrassment of riches circumstances that AEW has kind of encountered. And that can only be a good thing as a booker. Because it really is one of those things where, truthfully, what would have made the most sense after Blood and Guts would be that Jericho kind of slowly moves to the side and puts Sammy as front and center. Or a true, like, breakup and Sammy just kind of gets left out on his own to pursue whatever. Because he's the other one that's kind of held back by these, these faction feuds they have going on. And I feel like the combination of the Jericho entrance is just something that it's officially become like the worm of yore where, you know, you, you paid, you need to see it. You know, we're, we're in live shows, damn it. You know, Delta variant be damned. So if I paid good money to see a wrestling match, I'm going to sing along to Judas. I mean, that seems to be the consensus of each match. The fact that they pulled this off tonight seemingly proves that. Um, So Jericho all of a sudden, even though he's in a position where it would have been ideal for him to essentially lay down and to put boost up an MJF and, and by virtue also Sammy Guevara. Uh, now he, he really can't go anywhere. Like he, he's, he's never been bigger, but then on top of that, like you said, I agree with you completely. That's the biggest heel in the entire thing, no matter what Kenny Omega and the, the young bucks try to do that. They're just not the same. It's like MJF is the guy, even his theme music. I absolutely love it because it's so despicable. Like he just walks out and you just, Everything about it, it's like, this is the douchiest entrance theme I've ever heard. And I love it. And I'm going to listen to it in my car on the way to work. That's how much I love it. So, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like you all of a sudden are in this weird position where it's like, even though like what would have made sense would be to kind of pair up Sammy and MJF for a long-term feud is now like, well, hell, we can kind of use all three and whatever we want now. Um. I'm with you. I think I think I'll go into a good uh, with that. Now that we've covered the good, bad, and ugly of the labors of Jericho, and spinning off that, uh, just yesterday, holy shit, the Sammy Sean Spears match. 
I mean, we talk about both of them and they delivered on such an epic level. I was so impressed that that was an early, because it was also, I guess, you know, it's coming back to your embarrassment of riches. That was just a match. There's no build really. It was, you know, these guys are part of rival factions. They don't like each other. But then it was just an absolute banger of a match. I couldn't believe how good it was. And it's just something that they gave away for free. So I think it just continues this concept that, you know, I'm not sure what Sammy's future, you know, immediate future holds, but everything about that kid is so, so bright. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was the strangest thing, like that they teased the big announcement. And honestly, like going into that, that was me expecting. It's like, oh, this is either going to be the beginnings of, the breakup of the faction or this is going to be hey sammy's going to go compete for some obscure belt in some division that only the super nerds actually know about but it's like no the, the big announcement is he's getting engaged and he did it very early in the show before the, the cameras really started rolling and it was very sweet and actually touching and like because it seemed incredibly genuine like it wasn't the played up like wwe like you know anything related to couples getting married shit that we've grown accustomed to over the years oh yeah it would have been his fiance like getting into the ring stopping sean spears from using the chair and like low blowing him and yeah it would have been a total like hey i know this is your moment and it's your life but we really need to monetize the shit out of this. So can you get in harm's way, like kick a man in the dick and then have this really special moment? Okay, great. So no, yeah, just everything about it was done properly. And I appreciated the hell out of it. Yeah. And then he follows it up by, you know, putting a guy through a steel, you know, divider right in front of her front and center. Like she clearly loves him and appreciates what he does. Like it's not, you're not seeing like Mick Foley's wife at the pay-per-view, like <laughs> bawling her eyes out, realizing the fucked up career they went into. It's like, so she was all about it. It was an amazing match. Again, Sean Spears, I, I feel like is that ideal mid-card talent where he can put anybody over. He's charismatic enough that you can give a shit about hating him. Very much like a villain in, you know, any, pick any Jean-Claude, Van, good Jean-Claude Van Damme slash Arnold Schwarzenegger flick. Like they always have to have that other like charismatic guy that he beats the shit out before he beats the shit out of the main guy. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I felt like it was, they're a great pairing and it's a great way to kind of hang up Sammy. Well, again, you're stalling to put him into whatever direction you want to, because that kid's your future. No, hundred percent. All right, so I'm going to take a bad thing because we've been on this hot streak of good here, and maybe that's because we're talking about AEW. So for bad, naturally, I'm going to jump right into WWE. And, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention the sudden firing of Bray Wyatt. And now I'll, I'll preface that with saying, like, there's certain aspects to it that aren't worth it for us to just spitball on because you know, only a very small amount of people truly know what's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of bullshit where people are speculating about mental health and all that. Let's, let's not talk about that. Let's just focus on the business dynamic of this and what ramifications this has kind of across the board of wrestling when such a dynamic figure is all of a sudden a free agent. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things for me with Bray getting released, um, was that I, it really seemed to prove that they they 
want, they get too excited for the peak and they don't ever consider the valley. And I think with that, you see kind of what happened with Bray so many times, because to his credit, it was like, he'd come with the, you know, he, he had the Husky Harris thing, which was whatever. And then he comes back and he's Bray and he's got the, the Wyatt family and he's the, you know, got the swamp gimmick and everything. And they build him up. And then every time he'd get squashed, because it seemed like every feud he had, you know, he fused with Cena, loses. Big feud with The Undertaker. Passing to the torch, perhaps. Nope, loses. And he kept reinventing himself. And then, yeah, you get to The Fiend and the Firefly Funhouse, which was possibly one of the most amazing, like, concepts ever. Like, the puppets and the fact that they have, like, a Vince puppet and just, like, the absolute like way that they slowly introduce the fiend so it's you know you got the super bright side and the darkness with the fiend but then they created such a great monster that once he existed and you know one it was like well what do we do with this guy and it kind of was the same deal where it's like okay i guess he's gonna lose to goldberg which fuck all what was that but then it's just like they just wrote him off for a while and was kind of like the, well, hopefully no one will notice and we can bring him back. And I think that's kind of what we've seen when we talk about the mid cards in that, like, you know, same thing with another release guy, Braun Strowman. You, they get so excited about how unstoppable and monstrous and look what he can do. He flipped a bus and yada, yada. But then it's like, well, when you build someone up that big and they lose, then it's kind of like, well, what's what's next? So I think that was a big one for me is it's kind of like they pay these guys because they want to they want to strap the rocket to their back and make them a headliner. But then when the card gets too full, they don't know how to scale it back at all. So I, I think it really proves that while they can create these megastars, they don't know what to do if they don't have top billion. I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, again, I, I'm not affiliated with WWE, nor am I that good at business. But what I will say is that like, one thing that I believe is tied to some of these, you know, big explosive releases that the WWE uh, have made lately is that was how they beat WCW in the Monday Night Wars was by cutting bait on some of these big money, older talents and relying on their homegrown ones in a time when there was direct competition that was rivaling it and WCW just kept gobbling it up because they seemingly had unlimited funds. And that's very comparable to what's going on now with AEW where the Khan family seemingly can spend whatever they want and have clearly demonstrated that they're invested in their product. But at the same time, the one way that you can really hinder that is if you get too many of these big names, like obviously CM Punk's going already over there now you have Bray Wyatt who's available. Now you have Braun is available. These are guys who it's like, you're not getting them to come aboard without, you know, six figures minimum. And then you tease, like you also have the Daniel Bryans, the Ric Flairs, if you want to go into your legacy talent. Like this is a lot of financial dead weight that, you know, in theory, if AEW goes out and gobbles up, it could come back and bite them in the ass, particularly when we're in a stage where you're not necessarily certain how long you're going to be able to get away with having live matches with the state of the pandemic still. So I, it seems like maybe a calculated business decision on WWE's part to do this at this time 
hoping that they can kind of kill all the momentum that AEW's built up by having all these big names that people need to see if they're a part of your organization. No, that's, that's a really good point uh, that I hadn't entirely thought about from the, you know, this shit is chess, it ain't checkers, in that if you get so excited as AEW do, you start to hurt some of your own brand. Um, you know, we'll get to it later. Some of the, they're bringing in some legacy talent for a match or two. And I think it's kind of the, the reason people are tuning into AEW instead of WWE is because, you know, they don't want to see Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns, you know, have the, the Haas Fest. It's like Jungle Boy, Kenny Omega is what they're looking for, you know, Jurassic Express and the box. It's stuff like that. So if all of a sudden you have to get Bray on the car, you have to get, you know, and even though they're smaller guys, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, you know, if you want the, the big meat castle, Braun Strowman, it's like, you know, you're taking spots from people. So it could be an interesting concept that it's like, all right, we'll cut on these guys because we don't really have the need or want to spend the money. And if you want to inflate your product with our, you know, our leftovers, we'll see how it works for you. So, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, and it also sounds just like Machiavellian enough that I could see Vince really like sitting in the big office, just kind of chuckling to himself, thinking that, you know, he's got the way it's all going to pan out in front of him. So we'll see if he's right. I think, too, like the other important factor is the fact that WWE is a publicly traded company. And coming off the pandemic year, despite the fact that, you know, the headlines are all going to say like, oh, they made more money than ever. And it's like, well, listen, they made a huge deal with Paramount. And the reason they made the huge deal with Paramount is just to provide general content. But that is one big chunk. Now you have to maintain something. So they're looking at financially and saying like, we've just had almost two years of no live shows like we just simply can't afford to keep all these big money guys on our books versus AEW who's not publicly traded it's a small it's a private company they can do whatever the fuck they want so you know they're they're not having to make decisions knowing that there's going to be ramifications if your product doesn't continue to make money they're willing to lose money and they've demonstrated that by you know just the way they've approached their video game let alone some of these signings where it was like seemingly bloated up front, let alone, you know, not knowing if it would pan out and it certainly has. So um, definitely that factor too. And real quick to going back to Bray Wyatt, the one other thing I'll say with him is I feel like he's so talented at what he does that I almost get the sense that he almost entered in that realm of like the Edward Norton actor where it's like, he just has such a vision for what all these different ideas and he's so creative and he's so just like constantly coming up with new exciting twists. And it's like, that doesn't quite pair up with the WWE like slog of like, we just need to keep them engaged enough for a month to watch the pay-per-view. Like, we don't care that you thought up this cool new puppet or this new concept for a new match or like that you have all these different like voices you can do or a different mask. It's like, we just want you to do the same bullshit for a month to go out and slam this guy. And then we're going to rotate which big guy you're slamming this month. So I think there was some of that as well. No, I think, I think that's a great point. Um, and we'd be remiss not to mention that while I absolutely adore her, they basically just decided that they could do the same gimmick with Alexa Bliss and have something for a 
super talented female wrestler to do that's a non-title adjacent storyline, which is always one of the biggest strengths of Ray, was that he was so rarely in the title picture, but he was still a top of the card guy. And I think that was something that, you know, they've shifted to Alexa because I think they are trying to kind of keep the women's division, you know, from being just two storylines, the titles. So they kind of they kind of stole that, which was us a little shitty. But like you said, I, I don't think Bray's going to shed many tears over it because I think he's probably, you know, he's going to open his notebook, tear out the Fiend pages and see he's still got 97 of the 100 pages. And I also think it could be well suited for a little bit more of the AEW stuff because, like we've said, they're kind of comfortable running a character or a story for one, two, three weeks, blowing it off on TV and then letting these guys kind of, you know, move to the background, be on AEW Dark. And, you know, I think that could be a great place for Bray because, you know, maybe he just comes, you know, maybe his, his concept is, you know, he's the, the wrestling version of Split. And, you know, two weeks, he's going to be this Bray Wyatt and he feuds with a heel because he's an ambivalent one who's a such and such. And then, you know, three weeks later, he shows up and you're like, oh, good, he's here to save, you know, Cody from this guy. And then it's just like, oh, no, he's beating Cody. So, you know, and I, I could totally see that. So I think I think it will be good. And on your uh, publicly traded versus private company, I did just look it up and uh, Shahid Khan is creeping up on eight billion in worth. So I, I think he can kind of float the bill for some of these guys as the company continues to grow. So whereas, you know, Vince is doing well for himself, but like you said, it's not about him coming out of his pocket anymore. It's about, you know, the P&L chart when people are checking their portfolios. So that is that is tricky. So, no, I think I think that was a, a great bad, but it, it could be interesting to see if we get a little good out of it, especially if uh, if it gives Bray a chance to flex those creative muscles. All right, what do you got for us next, Nerd Animal? Um, I think kind of coming up on this, I'll go with an ugly. Um, and this is kind of I'm going with ugly for kind of doing someone dirty. And that was someone that we'd been a big fan of, and that's Lance Archer, the murder hawk monster, who it seems like is just on an all-time high. He beats Moxley, he beats uh Haku's son, and then Apparently, and I had to read this, he lost the belt to the challenger over in New Japan that they kind of hyped up, but they didn't mention it at all. So all of a sudden he comes out to, you know, mess with the, the guy that he, I, I can't remember what, which of his moves he did, but, you know, he beat this old guy up. Old guy shows up with some ringers and then he just kind of gets his ass kicked by all ego and Scorpio, which once again, I wouldn't be terribly upset because those two have kind of proven that they can do it. They can run a decent feud with someone. But for me, it was really that they didn't do anything about that title. And I was just kind of bummed because it's like, if he lost it, you can do the, you know, oh, I'm so angry. You know, I don't care if this guy has numbers. Like I just got to beat someone up after losing my title. But instead it was just like, run out, no explanation, get beat up and call it a day. So I, I, I was a little, uh, a little disappointed in how they did our guy. I agree completely. I also think too that that highlights that level where AEW, like, look, I, I love the product, so I can't talk shit about it. But what I will say is that is the one area that I'm concerned for the long-term future of it is that it gets pretty confusing when you have these weird non-AEW title belts that just kind of appear and disappear at whim 
And yeah, that one's really strange because I thought he was getting this big push because all of a sudden they gave him a strap and you're telling me that he lost it. And I would have no idea unless I'm following either social media or, you know, really nerding out to what's going on in wrestling. And quite frankly, it's it's hard for me to commit that much to beyond what I'm already committing and watching two two hour shows now a week. So I, I think say, that we, we got wives, man. They got to respect <laughs> us a little more than that. Right. So, I, I mean, maybe that's the point. Maybe they, they are trying because we are in the social media era where it, it's a great excuse to get people to follow these these larger than life figures online. But um, I, I think it's a little frustrating at times. Like, I feel like it would be one thing if that was kind of limited to Kenny Omega. And then maybe every now and then you allow like a champion to come onto your show to challenge somebody or vice versa. You send somebody to a smaller org and loan out somebody who just to give him a good run but as it is like that that whole title belt like i couldn't even, it was a new japan something something belt like it was like the north american new japan which already seems oxymoronic within itself and yeah, yeah. i mean this is honestly this is the same shit that like hurt boxing because there's a reason you always remember guys like muhammad ali or whatnot because when they won the belt it was the belt and yeah. now when you're tr- keeping track of 20 different belts and you can have some chump win some random belt that nobody's ever heard of and be a contender because of that, like it, it just eventually breeds a little dissatisfaction with when who really is the, the true champion of your division. So, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I'm going to stretch the ugly one because this this is a sneaky good one. This is yes. not even sneaky. This is a good one to me, but um. I'm going to say ugly because just it's been like so fascinating to watch for all the wrong reasons. And that's the Malachi black and Cody, just the way that match went down was so gnarly at the end. The entrance was so gnarly Malachi's character in general, and he is stiff as all hell. And I love it. And I love how much they've embraced it. And I can't wait to see him kick the shit. Uh, Art Anderson's kid next week but I have to say like Jesus Cody really played that up so well like that that's honestly probably one of the only times in wrestling where like I was hopeful that there would be a promo afterward where he actually brings up like the birth of his child being like something that's inspiring him to like do that motion where he was going to leave his boots in the ring and just retire because he saw his death just facing that horrific demon I mean, please, by all means, let me know. No, I, everything about this I've loved. Um, I love that once already Cody like stood up and started to give an impassioned speech from the commentary and Malachi flew in. So it's, but it makes sense because it's like, he's kind of going with the, like, you know, I I don't want to just beat you. I want to destroy you. Like, okay. Yeah. We had a match and I absolutely obliterated you so badly that you wanted to walk away but i won't even let you do that like you're not finished with you until i say that i'm finished with you so no i think i think it continues the trend of because you know i think i think anyone who listens to this you know is probably curious for my massive affinity for cody getting beat up but it's mostly just because i respect the hell out of the fact that the guy is talented as all hell good looking as hell an executive vice president and still, you know, allows himself to lose matches, put people over, you know, give the rub. And even if he wins, you know, bump someone who, 
you know, may not have gotten noticed as much. So, you know, all, all the love to Cody. And this is another amazing example of that, that, you know, it would be, you know, great for his ego to have the, you know, it's kind of the thing that people used to talk shit about Hunter for that, you know, everyone would be on the rise and then they'd fight Triple H and they'd lose because Hunter was going to go over where with Cody, it was like, no, if I'm, if, you know, Malachi is going to be a threat to everyone on the roster, he's got to come in and put a beating on somebody who matters. It kind of reminded me almost of when Brock obliterated Cena at SummerSlam, that it's just like, you're kind of like, okay, the, the comeback's coming. Like it's, it's going to happen. No, no shit. So no, I'm with you. And yeah, the, the entrance, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, don't get me wrong. I've seen, you know, Malachi black, like in a suit put together, looking friendly. And it's like, okay, like a handsome dude with some tattoos. But when they want to put the makeup on him and the creepy ass skull thing, and it's like, that's a terrifying man. And yeah, the way he hits and that, that black mass, he knows how to hit that. And Cody knew how to take it. Cause they did the slow motion and, you know, you can tell from Cody afterwards, it wasn't like when the Miz got the trouble in paradise and, you know, was severely concussed. It was just like, man, these guys can just both work and put this on. So no, I think, I think we can go ugly for the, uh, the ugliness of it, but yeah, also just the impassioned retirement attempt. And then just like, I also love how AEW kind of just does the constant, like no one warned Cody or anyone. It's like, you've got this elevated ramp and somehow like, no one saw this like imposing tattooed man storming <laughs> to the ring until he's behind him with the crutch. I, I have to say too that um, it was so good that when it occurred, all I was thinking is they do not need Bray Wyatt. Like as cool as it would see be to see Bray Wyatt be able to run free with his creative freedom and whatnot. Like at the same time, like what Malachi has done is just as imposing as the Wyatt family angle back when he came out and just took the world by storm. Like I, I'm just so impressed by taking a, a talent that WWE totally squandered and making him into literally a viable threat to go any direction they want from here on out. Yeah. I think, I think the, the smart Mark community got like a little bit moody trending because when he debuted on the main roster, that was like how they described him. He's like this imposing, like otherworldly, like devil worshiper. And they're like known for being a little bit moody. It's like, this guy isn't a teenager who dyed his hair black, like we're a step past that. So no, I think it is another great example of a guy that, yeah, looked to have kind of gotten misused. And then he comes in and it's just like, Oh, yeah, this is what we hoped for. So no, I think I think that's a I think that's a great ugly. I think I'll jump in, um, and just because I, I gotta I gotta mention her, I'm gonna go with the good being Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, because holy shit, she's just continued to absolutely ride the wave. Um, they she does the broken wrist which I guess was some kind of real injury which has just gone on to enhance her like I mean she's she's up there for the coolest you know I use the word heel so loosely because it's she's theoretically a heel but holy shit do we all love her like even you know the Tony Schiavone gets in on the DMD like he knows how over it is she knows how over she is you know I thought, I thought Red Velvet was just a great choice for some, her coming out, kind of talking about having been enhancement talent, and now she's, you know, on the hot streak, which is, again, thank you, AEW, for actually paying attention to wins and losses so people can 
challenge for a title without just arbitrarily hitting you once and moving to the top of the line. But yeah, and going going to Britsburg, main eventing uh, the first episode of Rampage, which continues, I think, as we've said, the great trend of wrestling TV shows being named just ludicrous things. But no, she's she continues to just put on absolutely great matches. The the psychology of working with the bad wrist and you know not being able to lock it in and getting taken off and then switching arms and doing it. Like I, I just continue to feel like they've got such an absolute rock star to anchor that women's division. And she's just, she's everything you want in your heel. And, you know, if she's got to be a little too cool, so be it. But I think as, you know, they watch her run with it. It's going to be a, a great title run. I, I think you nailed all of the, the big talking points on there. Fantastic summary of it. I think Red Velvet was a perfect selection to gauge how over she was because Red Velvet is, is a baby face typically. And so to put Britt Baker, to trust her to be your main event, event for your debut of a new network show and to pair her up with somebody who isn't a traditional, you know, heel like and have Britt Baker still go over it like is a huge testament to just how well received she is. And I think it's a great contrast to the difference between AEW, who's just been a masterclass on how to develop the women's division versus WWE, despite it being this huge, you know, corporate mandated thing that Stephanie McMahon really wants to build up that division. And mind you, she's done some amazing work compared to the years of Vince running the show. But the difference between the two is when Britt Baker headlines the main event, you know, she's the main event of your TV show, everyone goes nuts. And granted, she was the hometown girl, but still, like, she carried it. Versus you're starting to see the beginnings of the backlash on WWE of throwing Nikki A.S.H. out over and over into the main event of Raw. And it's just not going over the same because people feel it's force fed because it's like she's all right it's a cool gimmick but you're you're pushing it too much to the point where it's like you're going to embarrass yourself and you kind of have because you're having your feud with two people who arguably are two of the most talented women wrestlers in the world right now and nikki ash her kind of her whole thing is that like she appears to be not that good at wrestling so it's just not going over. I've seen a lot of arguments that they've been pumping in sound to, you know, affect the crowd noise for the televised broadcast. There's a lot of booing that goes on anytime she appears now. And I think it's unfortunate because when it debuted, it was a really cool gimmick, but that's what happens when you try to make somebody into a main event talent versus them actually earning it and proving it. And that's Britt Baker to me right now. No, I think, I think you nailed it. I think the other thing is that, yeah, I think, you know, Nikki, you know, ASH, I like her too. I think it's been a fun gimmick with her. You couldn't quite do her crazy, like, sanity gimmick again. But I think it's so much better suited to be, like, an early in the, early in the card. You know, it's, it's more kid-centric. So if you're thinking about the broadcast, you know, your target audience is not wanting to see the plucky underdog superhero fighting – Charlotte Flair, you know, one of the most imposing women of all time and Rhea Ripley, an also imposing woman who's got like a metal vibe going. So she's scary as hell. Like put that at 830, you know, 
let the younger fans still be up and watching it. So I think, I think that is a little bit of a disservice too, that, you know, if you're doing the Sasha and Bianca, that's going to be just, you know, a banger of a match and all that, you know, so be it. But no, I, I think you're right that they're, you know, maybe they're trying a little too hard. Whereas, you know, AEW has been knocked pretty good and fairly for not doing the most with their women's division. And I think that they knew that, you know, Brit in Britsburg was a great way to do it. And I think it was cool for Red Velvet too, because I think it's just a chance to get that vote of confidence. It kind of reminds me of, you know, some of the, the big spots like Jungle Boy's been put in where it's like, look, man, you're not going to win the title here. But we want you, we want you to get some some reps. We want you to see what it's like to be in the biggest match of the night because we think you could be there. So I think it was a good way to give someone who's kind of been a little bit in the middle of the card a boost of confidence in a moment of like, hey, here's here's what you can aspire to. So now overall, I feel like that that's a great uh, comparison between the two of you know finding the organic way to make it work to main event with women versus the okay, we're, you know, just trying to make sure that everyone sees how progressive we are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. So I would have to say we've done good. We've done bad. We've done ugly. We can kind of go any direction here. So I'm going to go for another good, despite the fact that it's been an AEW gush fest as these recordings tend to be. Um, And that's the big show. The big show. Really? Yeah, the big show, and mind you, this could really quickly turn ugly or bad, (laughs) um, more than likely, especially with what's on the horizon. But I will say in that one moment when he came out with a remade entrance theme that is kind of a riff on his old one, but way better, that booking of having him just come out and choke slam, you know, who was it? It was... uh, did he actually do the foundry? It was, um... yeah, it was, it was, it was one of the factory guys. It, it was kind of the like smallest one. He was the, he was the guy that like, you know, has a name, but he's, he's just kind of there to okay. out the squad. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The fact it was some jabroni, but really what the heart of it was, was they booked big show better. I feel like in this little five minute spot where he comes out to save Tony Shabani's son from being bullied by um the fact that they were able to book him better in that span of time than wwe did his entire career there just because he's a seven foot three monster just let him come out and be a heartfelt seven foot three giant that is going to do the right thing i love that he comes out and he hugs people and then he just he wrecks shit if he has to and you know, the fact that it's QT Marshall, of all people, is just perfect on top of that. So, yeah, I, I just love the fact that it was just like, he's just the guy hanging out in the back. And he's like, it, it reminded me of, um, you know, you kind of see it like, um, who is Idris Elba in the Thor movies? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Heimdall? Yeah. It's kind of like that character. It's like, he's really just not a big part of the plot he's not involved with any feuds or anything he's really meant to just kind of be there but if you cross that line he's gonna go fuck you up and i just thought that was awesome it was like that is the big show like he this is a poor guy who's his whole entire career despite being a hall of famer has always been held back at every venture it would be it you know being knocked down by the nwo and never really getting to be the avenging force he was supposed to be you know, because that's how he was originally booked. It was supposed to be he was d- representing WCW 
against this imposing threat. And they just quickly had him roll over to Nash and join the faction. So that was a bust. And then, you know, all the other, the smoking giant being one of my favorite ones, but all the other horrible ways they utilize him. We've already run the gamut of all the horrible bookings they've gave him in WWE. That, that's a podcast of its own in reality. So, yeah. Totally. And that's what I'm saying is like, it was so like refreshing to be like, no, he's just like a super nice, personable dude that really like would have done anything for the company. And they've just always kind of given him these shit ass angles. They're just like not quite putting him over well enough. And so it was just refreshing to have him just come out, just deliver the bomb and go right back to the back room. And that's it. Okay, I can I, I can I can respect that. I think I think a little bit of my concern is the impending match with QT because there's a part of me that would love to see Smarmy Heel be giant and it's just the ass kicking. So I'm a little worried that because I think I think you're right if that's the route you go, that I, I like the idea you're saying where it's like, yes, he's in commentary, but you know, you don't want to cross that line. It's literally the, you don't want to wake the sleeping, like sitting giant. And it, it's a really fun idea that he would just come out and regulate. And, you know, don't get me wrong. If he tries it against, you know, the wrong faction or something, the numbers game can always take him down. But yeah, I guess I'll be intrigued to see what happens. Um, just because QT is kind of in an interesting spot. So, okay, I'll, I'll be, I'll be won over by that. Cause I, I kind of had him on a, him on a bad list, but now, now that you frame it the way you did, I can, I can believe it. So. I, I will say that I, that I had this opinion going into this, having not known that they were going to book an actual match with him. So I am on the fence and leaning more it's downtrending quickly. Um, but I, I, that one brief moment I thought was just awesome. And I thought that that was a huge way for the big show to just kind of like be introduced to a new generation in a positive way. Okay. Um, for me, I'll go, I'll go with what I'll say is a bad, but you know, I'll spin it. And it's bad for friendship because Adam Page having to break up with the Dark Order was really a sad, sad moment because they had the the great elimination tag match where they they built up the like could Paige you know fight his way back against not too many guys and he didn't which is always refreshing because almost as a wrestling fan you're programmed if like it's an Iron Man match and someone's down three one you know that's just like oh okay they're gonna get two falls and it's gonna get squared up so it was like oh no actually having to fight three of the best wrestlers in the world by yourself is not going to end well. But the breakup was was heartbreaking. But what really did it for me was that, and I, I guess I'm getting into my, my usual college relationship things, but that the Dark Order was respectful enough of his wishes that when, you know, they, they saw the opportunity to swoop in and try to save him, there was the like, no, no, he's made his decision. You know, he wants a life without us. So just because in this moment, you know, we can go in and fill that void that he would want, it's not for us. And I, I thought it kind of continued the, the interesting long-term storytelling. Um, I think it's kept the Dark Order as a really interesting faction in that I, I think that could have spun off and just been a total clusterfuck. But the fact that they're just kind of this like, you know, well-meaning, good-hearted band of misfits and that, you know, they got along well with the cowboy was fun, but... 
I, I thought that was a very interesting uh, move, and I thought it continued, you know, the the delayed run for Hangman. So o- overall, you know, like I said, it it was good storytelling, but it was it was just bad for my heart having to watch uh, the Dark Order break up with a uh, Hangman Page. Yeah, that that's fair. It was actually it was a really strange thing, and I'm sure that they have a long term plan for it. Um, you know, there's always going to be the speculation that, you know, if anybody's going to slot into that role that Brody Lee, you know, unfortunately left vacated due to his passing, Ray Wyatt would be the figure. But um, it's been kind of a, like amazing that they've held it together. And I kind of appreciate that the hangman thing just kind of ended at that. So it can kind of, he can go on to become an individual talent that's not constantly aided throughout the process of, eventually earning a title shot um by the way since we're discussing the dark order too can we acknowledge how amazing was it grayson is his name yeah yeah holy shit i did not realize how talented that guy was like i knew all of them are more talented than they appear but geez that guy is phenomenal yeah no I, i definitely agree it was one of those things where i thought it was a great showcase um and yeah, I found myself just in that boat of like, wow, I did not know this guy could do half the shit he's doing. And yeah, just, just impressive as hell. So I'm going to go no. with a bad that's a carryover from what you described. And that is the elite basketball talent. <laughs> oh God, yes. Because as much as I appreciated the Space Jam entrance for that match, with the second you see and like mind you let me rewind here a sec like you know having grown up in kind of the the era of backyard wrestling like there was kind of this misconception when you were a teenager that you know if you just kind of like developed an interesting character you could somehow elevate to being a world-class wrestler because you know you did have seemingly some guys who did that and edge and christian and the hardy boys but it's like we at the time you didn't quite grasp that those were also like 200 pound amazing athletes of pure muscle <laughs> like you just associated them with being like oh they're tiny like me and it's like no that's because they're wrestling 300 pound guys of pure muscle and so now watching AEW in particular but all wrestling in general it's like I've officially like grown an old man accepted it's like these guys are professional athletes. Like the only people who are making it in this are true professional athletes who have worked their ass off to get there. And so, yeah, it was just kind of like one of those things where it's like watching five of the best professional athletes in this craft, trying to do a different sport than what they're professionals at. It was just like, Oh God. Oh dear God. Kenny Omega came and dribble a basketball. Like they botched the dunk. Like this is just not going well. Now, mind you, they did kind of do an amazing promo backstage to make up for it where they made a bunch of shots and we're talking a bunch of shit, but I'm fairly certain that was probably recorded a number of times to nail it, to make up for it. No, you're 100% right. Like, when I saw Kenny Omega dribble that basketball, I just had that brief moment of, like, yep, there's something athletic I can do better than this guy. And I'm not even that good at it. But, yeah, that one was bad because I do get that it's, like, you're walking down the entrance ramp with a basketball, so you got to do something with it. 
but yeah, the, the dribbling it didn't inspire a lot of confidence. So when I saw them set up the, the two man pile driver spot, but Kenny was throwing the alley-oop, it was kind of one of those, like, you know, something tells me one of the other guys in this faction, like you can't tell me that Doc Gallows didn't hoop a little bit being as big as that <laughs> bastard is. Like, just let him toss the alley-oop. So, and then I, I did love that they kind of jumped over when you had the uh, Jurassic Express come in. And this can be a, a chance to shoehorn Jurassic Express in because I have them in my good. But I like that this feud kind of launches from Luchasaurus stuffing a dunk followed by Jungle Boy throwing down, albeit on the, you know, eight foot above the rim rim that Edward Norton dunked on American History X. But uh, <laughs> it's still, you know, at least you could tell, like, Jack Perry kind of knew what he was doing. He ran up with that ball and knew how to put it in the hoop. But, yeah, that's that's a great call because it was just the, like, I just wonder if no one really asked. Like, was there just the moment? Because I, I think he's, Omega was definitely the worst. So I just wonder if there was this moment when, like, they gave him the ball and he just starts dribbling and, like, the Jacksons are just looking at each other like, did you know he couldn't dribble a fucking basketball? Like, why did we give it to him? But, you know, live television, you got to do it. So, no, that's that's a great call for the, you know, these guys are professional athletes, but just, like, if you put, you know, you put a quarterback at home plate and ask him to hit a pitch, it's going to look bad. That was that was this. Yeah, I think it was DK Metcalf recently was at the All-Star Game softball um, match and couldn't hit a softball. Like So despite being arguably the most shredded NFL player in the league right now. So, yeah, so there's your moment where you're like, there's something I can do better than DK Metcalf. (laughs) Yeah, but again, just like you said, I'm not that good at it, but holy shit, that guy was bad at it. So, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the intrusion by – Jurassic Express too, because especially, particularly when Luchasaurus came in and just swatted the shot attempt, was just you can tell he actually played, and it was just so natural, and he just clearly looked like the biggest kid on the playground, just like get that shit out of here. It was amazing. You know, I think I'll I'll just let that go into another. God, yesterday's episode was so fucking good. I'll go to the Bucks and Jurassic Express match because it was phenomenal. I. I can't get over, and I I think it's got to be every week I end up talking about uh, Jack Perry, but any match he's in, I am always, I always believe that he's got a shot to win it. When he was wrestling Omega, I somehow thought that he was going to take the belt off him for free on a random Wednesday, or I think that was Saturday, but still, I, I was in it, and man, when they were, when they were going back and forth, and like, they put the chair in the ring, which called back to the Omega match. And you're kind of wondering if this is like the start of the fall of the elite. And it was just like, those are four guys that can just work. You got the great size disparity with Jurassic Express. And then the Bucks are just an otherworldly talent. And watching those four guys go was just such a treat. And it really made me hopeful that especially with this upcoming, uh, four-way match for the number one contendership. I'm really hoping that uh, they set the Jurassic Express up to take the titles off them because those guys are so good, and that match was just so good. So I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, speaking of alley-oops, you just set me up so perfectly for a bad since we're talking tag team wrestling because I couldn't agree more. Like you 
I mean, that match was phenomenal. But again, AEW continues to churn out pay-per-view level matches on a regular basis for all of their matches, seemingly. But um, on the other side, you got WWE and their fucked up tag division right now where AJ Styles, Omaz versus RK-Bro, are they, aren't they? Like, what the hell is this? Like, there was a sneaky, almost good moment because I did appreciate the period when Randy Orton still had to hit him with the RKO despite seemingly making up with Riddle. But after that, it's just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, how can you have a tag division that's always forcing these single matches upon you with guys who clearly have no synergy together? Like so much of what made that match with the Bucks and Jurassic Express amazing was seeing these guys who were totally in sync with everything, all these different team up maneuvers that they execute. The joint finishers are so good and it's so much fun to watch because it, yeah, like you said, it, it's got the synergy. It's a next level move. And, you know, I saw the one that I, I can't remember if I'd really seen it or, you know, maybe it was just before I was watching a lot of AEW, but yeah, the, the Jurassic Express finisher where it's like the toss into Jungle Boy for like the power bomb, it just looks so good. And yeah, the box with the BTE trigger, which I think would probably crack our list of wrestling moves that would kill you in real life. Because um, getting simultaneously kneed in the head would probably make your head explode. But once again, moves that are believable, whereas with, yeah, these slapdick tag teams, it's like, oh, they hit him with the RKO or the whatever the fuck Riddle's moves are. And it, it just, yeah, it lacks that sense of like they had to come together to make this work. Um, so no, that's, that's a wonderful choice, especially because, yeah, you want to talk about very odd, you know, our, our complaints about legitimate tag teams versus odd couples. And you've got a, a comedy group. And they, they would be comedy if you didn't want to maintain Elmos's, like, intimidation factor. Absolutely. You know how good that maneuver you described? I, I forget what they called it. It had some special name. This is how good it is. There's a YouTube account that I've been following that kills me. It's a troll account that just posts random old wrestling footage in eight-second increments with no context behind it. Wait, what is this called? I'm going to have to check. I was going to say the creator's name is Basic Beefonomics. A uh, lot of Scott Steiner stuff in there. In fact, I think I sent you some recently. Oh, but, yeah, um, the Sloppy Joe. That was great. But the fact that I'm, I'm working today and I get a notification, they have a post. And all it is is that maneuver that you just described. And all the title says is like, okay, that was pretty sick. And then... 30 minutes later, there's a new post and it's Bob Backlund falls on his ass or something like that. So, I mean, the fact that this troll account like had to like put this out there, just be like, if you haven't seen this, like you need to watch it because that was phenomenal. And, you know, that wasn't the only one, like the Bucks have their own things that they execute so seamlessly every time that they almost seem routine uh luchasaurus is so criminally underrated like that honestly is like one of the only reasons i do long for the day when jack perry eventually becomes a true title contender is seeing what they can do with that guy because he is damn good and i think it's just because he has this kind of like jokey gimmick people haven't quite grasped and that seems comical saying like oh but jungle boy can is seemingly doing his thing but it, it's just a little different because once Again, as we've discussed in the past, you drop the Jungle Boy moniker and he just becomes Jungle Jack Perry. And all of a sudden he's just 
arguably one of your top five talents in the league. So, but Luchasaurus is could easily be on par with the murder Hawk in terms of mobile big men. So I, I would love to see if he could do that or, you know, hell he, he's great in the way he does keep him at it. Okay. So I think I'm going to do a quick good followed by the longer bad. And the, the quick good is that I will be watching SummerSlam this Saturday and the card has some absolute crazy good matches. The Cena Reigns match looks like it's going to be awesome. Bianca Sasha too going to be incredible. Rollins Edge is a match that we were fantasy booking and then Edge somehow gets back in the ring. So I think there's quality all over the card. I'm actually very excited for it. But the one match that I'm really kind of pissed about is fucking Goldberg. And it's two reasons. And I think one is more that it's a disservice to Bobby Lashley, who's really done an amazing job with this run. And I really respect that he basically got hot. He takes the title off Drew. Or no, he takes it off the Miz after the cash-in. That's right. So, you know, he kind of gets it. But then he gets the win at WrestleMania. And, like, when he won the title on Raw, you saw the emotion in his face. He did the, like, goofy, almost Godfather gimmick, but then did the, like, I got to get back to being a fucking badass, which was cool. But now, like, the biggest card of the year, fucking Vegas, the full stadium, and you're making him go against Goldberg, which it's like, you know, this is kind of the, the ultimate thing, and it makes me think of the, I guess, once again, it's like the old restaurant adage of, like, if you had to fight the old drunk guy, because it's like, you know, you're getting – it's like, okay, dude, if I end up fighting you, I might lose my job. And the best case, I beat up an old drunk guy. Worst case, I get my ass kicked by the old drunk guy. This is the wrestling equivalent. Because it's like, if he wins, it's like, congratulations. You managed to handle the 90 seconds that Goldberg has before he gets winded. And if you lose, then shit, you just got Bray Wyatt. So I, I'm really kind of annoyed by that, that after having such a good run and being deserving of a really good match, especially when, you know, don't get me wrong, Roman's doing the work of his career, but he's getting motherfucking peacemaker. He's getting the big, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet. And you get the guy from the longest yard, like that's tough. So my, my sympathies to Bobby Lashley, just listen to an interview with him. Absolutely awesome. Great guy, happy for him. So really, really upset with the WWE for botching what should be a marquee spot on the card. Thank you for bringing that up. And that's an amazing rundown. And I do share your frustration because it, it's, it's even worse to me in a way because I feel like MVP is so perfectly cast to as being his manager in a way that makes sense because MVP is a guy that I'm really glad is still getting acknowledged for how good he did during a kind of dark era for WWE. Like he was a solid talent that, you know, he just, unfortunately injuries kind of took away his career. And um, yeah, one thing I'll say with this matchup and again, this tinfoil hat time with me. So there's no way I yes. can prove or disprove this, which this, this, this is my special ability. I, I like putting forth these bullshit arguments to where there's no way to prove it. So I sound a hell of a lot smarter than I actually am. We need but, like uh, a sound effect for the segment every week. <laughs> so what I'll say is I feel like this match, this booking, really the intention was truly to be Brock versus Bobby. And they can't do it because that's the classic, you know, great white hope element that just isn't going to go over these days because quite frankly that's a story about racism that we don't really need to keep playing out for people we need to do better and, and move on from that 
And that's the difference between bringing in a guy like Brock, who on paper, everything just pairs up perfectly, but he would have to be the baby face in this particular booking. And that just isn't going to fly because Bobby Lashley is so much more likable. He's so much more charismatic. He's, you know, actually done almost everything as a champion, but they booked him as a heel now. So it's just not going to be a good look to all of a sudden dig up Brock to throw him out there and be, get everyone behind him when Brock's whole character is he's just this big monster that clearly grew up in the Midwest. So I feel like Goldberg was there attempting to kind of fill that void without it being this thing that the optics just throw people off. And, you know, it kind of works because Goldberg is the hall of famer and he's still kind of imposing for being the old guy and whatnot. And his name blatantly calls out the fact that he's a Jewish athlete. So you can't really just break it down to just black versus white, but unfortunately that's that's how it would be perceived and it's because of that they can't really book it that way if they somehow make it the turn and bring bobby blashley into a babyface role i could see them booking that and i think it would be a phenomenal match and i think that it's a match that people have been dying to see um but unfortunately here's what we got the only other thing i'll say to it beyond that is there's also a chance that this is just an excuse to throw out a seeming placeholder match with some bigger intention down the road, be that if they're going to rehire Braun Strowman or some other heavy that we've never heard of. Um, that's the only other way I could see it. Okay. I, I, that's a, that's a very, very strong tinfoil hat corner this week. Um, and I think it's, I think it's also a fine point because Brock is in such a weird position. I think, I think he is kind of a polarizing guy that if you have him out there, almost regardless of the the heel face dynamic it would be weird but yeah trying to bring him back and turn him face against Lashley I think would would come across as odd so well hopefully our big man Bob can can get something good down the road um what what else do I have I'll go I'll go with the actually I'll I'll keep going bad but I'll go bad for AEW and I won't even spin it that I'm just kind of pissed about what the fuck is going on with my man, the Wolverine, Brian Cage. Because this Team Taz thing, they really can't quite figure out what they're doing with it. Because it's like Starks is too much of like on paper, he's just going to get washed. Hobbs is clearly the guy that should be doing the fighting, but they haven't quite figured out that they should do some mini like labors of Jericho concept where you got to like earn your way to start. So instead it just seems like we're going to get the like bullshit promo, angry cage, scatter the bad guys and run. Then they'll probably get a, you know, I I don't want them to go to 50, 50 booking because with a giant guy in a numbers game, you're always going to have that on the table. So just a little concerned about, uh, about Cage because he's I, I still think he's a guy that's got a lot of a lot of talent and a lot of you know and it, even if it just means being in the mid card you know we just talked about Sean Spears and Sammy Guevara and you know there's a lot of good spots in there you could have a banger or two with Nero like I don't know I think I think this needs to get wrapped up at some point so that's that's going to be a bad for me that I think I think Team Taz and Cage just need a good old-fashioned blow-off maybe a steel cage or something but just let's go, let's let the guys move on. I, I totally agree. Honestly, the, the booking of the whole Team Taz thing is the closest I've seen to classic WWE style booking uh, in AEW. 
just in the sense that it's they really all they seemingly are doing is holding up the same bullshit time and time again like it we can make that argument the same thing with the whole pinnacle and the inner circle but the difference is they throw in all these different like unique matches to at least keep you engaged in that right with this it's just this whole like cluster of like he only has one guy that really physically seems that he can go up against him like and that guy's good but not there yet and really the, the best thing that they could do right now is to play up just that whole angle where he gets jumped by team taz they beat the shit out of him he goes away for a short break and then you you sneak him into something big be that introducing him into a new faction or have him be that surprise contender that comes out of nowhere but i agree like that guy's done incredible work he shows up and plays whatever stupid role they give him you know it, clearly based on those sideburns alone i mean the man has to go to the grocery store and live his life while wearing those it's not something you paint on every match like darby allen's face paint so i mean he's he seems like a good worker and yeah i really wish that he would get his kind of jungle boy moment like in a true contender match so yeah totally I'm going to go with another big man here for my bad, actually, and that is the booking of Keith Lee. And that, man, I don't know what it is, but I just have just the most irrational fandom of Keith Lee, despite being one of the most boring characters on the roster. I think it's like the combination of the spirit bomb is my probably my favorite name for a move right now. Just I don't know why I just find that hilarious and it's so odd. It's a pretty cool move. So why not? And I don't know. I think it's just like, kind of goes back to that whole, like everyone loves the fat athlete. It's like uh, in the replacements with Keanu Reeves, when, you know, they have the moment when the lineman scores the touchdown, you have John Madden explaining, you know, it's like everybody loves seeing the fat guy score a touchdown. So then you get the fat guy spike and the fat guy dance. And that's Keith Lee to a T to me. So, yeah. No, I, I love that for a lot of reasons. One, anytime you can bring up the replacements, I'm in. Uh, two, that one of the great moments of Keith Lee was when he came down in the Royal Rumble and Brock looked and I think honestly didn't know who he was because he doesn't actually watch wrestling. And it was just like, who is this big motherfucker? Which was a great like clip of just <laughs> acknowledging that. But um, I'll, I'll also jump in that I think that the fact that they also were doing the 50-50 booking with Karrion Cross, who is the really cool NXT champ, but then that they haven't had him with his valet, who's like a big part of his entrance looking awesome, and she's just this like stunning valet, and the, everything about that has been weird. And that like Keith Lee had some real medical issues that arose due to uh, COVID that was pretty scary. So glad to see him back, but the, yeah, they kind of seem to be doing this, like, we'll give him a big match with this guy, but then it's just like 50-50 booking. And yeah, I, I think that's a very fair, a very fair uh, bad to have because he, he's clearly a talent. You know, it's like you said, it's, it's the, everybody loves a fat guy, but you know, this isn't just the King Mabel viscera fat guy that can't do anything. This is a fat guy that can get fucking go. So, no, I think, I think that's a great call. Um, I, I kind of want, for your next one, or for the next one I'm going to do, I'm going to want some feedback from you because I think I'm going to put it in the good because they subverted my expectation a little bit. And that was the, what I thought was going to be the beginning of the end for Kenny Omega, the belt collector. 
because he finally loses a match to Christian Cage, which there's a question right there. Is Cage the right guy to take the first belt off him being a WWE retread and Omega having fought a lot of good guys? So then at that point, I'm like, oh, it's all going downhill from here. He's got the Andrade match in Mexico. Andrade brings flair to the ring because he's got to marry Charlotte. But then he doesn't lose that title. So all of a sudden, my whole, you know, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as tinfoil hat, but I'd kind of been doing the, you know, once it starts, they're going to be falling like crazy. Well, now he's got at least the AAA belt. So he's probably going to hold on to AEW for a little longer. So I guess I, I, I'm kind of calling it good because, like I said, I, I may not have been crazy about Cage being the first guy to beat him, though, you know, the botched uh, assistance from the Young Bucks was always a nice touch. But overall, I, I think it, it's kind of interesting that they didn't go the easy route with things unraveling in a hurry, which I think makes sense when we talk about AEW, that WWE would do that when you had the faction that had the world title, the tag team titles, and the European title, or you know something like that. They would lose every belt in the course of a week, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got the instant faction blow up, and it's all wrapped up in a neat little package in two weeks. So I, I think I'll call it good because I, I did like Omega having that first that first sign of being human. I I agree with you because for a number of reasons. One, I think that the reintroduction of Christian Cage is is big because he's clearly put in the work, and as we've alluded to in previous recordings, like I feel like AEW is wrestling for wrestling nerds. Like you have to actually give a shit about like the legacy and, and really he's like one of the first like WWE guys to come in where he showed up and he really, really wanted to go. Um, because on the contrast, you have the guy that literally they elevated each other's careers and that's big money, Matt Hardy, who, you know, the most significant thing he contributed recently was you know doing a twitch stream hot tub video where he almost burned his hair off so i mean there's there's where you're at in terms of what your contemporaries are up to but i think it's kind of neat because like edge and christian were so synonymous and i feel like you know even though we've talked a lot of shit because edge was clearly the more talented of the two i feel like this is a way of them kind of like elevating like his contributions to wrestling as a whole being like look like the guy actually is a hall of fame talent, like acknowledge him. Um, you know, it was also a neat little booking way to kind of divert, like you said, subvert your expectations because it seemingly hangman was going to be the guy to get the job done. And instead it was the guy who still hasn't lost since he joined AEW. So, um, it can only benefit you. And I think that he's actually the right talent too to elevate from the WWE cast offs because, that's been the, that fine line that they're treading of you don't want to bring in a WWE talent and immediately make him the title contender because then it waters down your product. You know, like it's not going to be a good look if like you get like a mid card talent from WWE and all of a sudden they hop aboard your program and they're the superstar because that's what happens to every indie production ever. But instead it's like okay like yeah we we have some people who've joined us most of them are more in backstage roles or whatnot and then there's there's cody but in this case it's like no this is the guy who showed up he's he's doing the work he's he's gonna put over and you know he has evolved his game a lot despite being you know in the twilight of his career seemingly so um 
yeah, it, it's, I think ultimately it's good. I, I'm interested to see what direction it goes. Cause I, I'm torn on the direction of Omega, like on one end, like I, I absolutely love the belt collector character and the lead's fun. I also am curious to see though, because in the future, it'd be really, really cool to see him go through that journey again, now that it's an established product. So in order to get there, he's going to have to somehow abandon these belts in some capacity. So, I mean, is this the time to have him maybe lose everything, go on a little vacation, then come back and just kick everyone's fucking ass so that people can real the new audience who are tuning in every week can now all of a sudden realize who this amazing talent is that they seemingly have only heard about on YouTube. Um, that to me yeah, would be cool. That's a really good point because there is that little bit of like, as much as you're getting to see how good he is, it's how good he is with kind of all the underhanded bullshit. So it's like you're seeing great matches, but it's a great match with, you know, the Bucks doing this and whoever the guy with the cold spray is doing that. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, he's really good, but he's, you know, got a lot going on. So yeah, maybe he comes back and it's this like, you know, I got I to gotta do it my own way because, you know, when you guys were with me, I may have had everything, but I lost everything. So no, that's that's a really interesting idea and storyline. So I, I like that idea of reintroducing the crowd to him and seeing a different Kenny. I'm going to introduce an ugly just because it, I just don't get it. And that's the uh, 24-7 belt. Um, like, don't get me wrong. Who, who's the current gentleman who's, who's carrying the belt? Um, Reginald. Reginald Reggie is phenomenal athlete. Like that goes without saying, like he's done some things I didn't think were humanly possible in that ring, but my God, this division, like some of the things that occur backstage, I'm so confused about, um, particularly when you're involving our truth and, uh, who's the other one? Tazawa is it? Yeah. Akira Tazawa. Yeah. Who just seemingly are just trying to, do their best to play up old like stereotypes from 50 years ago for a younger audience younger yeah, yeah. more impressionable Japanese guy has to have ninjas involved it's <laughs> kind of something I thought we'd gotten away from but yeah hey. so I mean it's like one step forward three steps back and then Reginald a big leap four steps forward so <laughs> it's almost like playing Candyland but I, I don't know what to think of this division. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm with you in that it confuses the shit out of me because at one point it'll just be like, uh, you know, a Looney Tunes episode where it's like, you know, Reginald runs in with the belt, like tries to hide behind like the catering table and then has to like crawl out from under the mass of bodies and it restarts. But then they'll just be like a match. And it's like, if I'm, you know, any of the other 24-7 suitors, I'm just going to, like, you know, walk on down to the ring. Because, you know, obviously this is just a rip on the wonderful hardcore 24-7 rule, which just resulted in, like, what was realistic was everyone was just living in constant terror because you couldn't walk anywhere without being <laughs> afraid of being, like, hit by a golf cart, a steel chair, or something, but yeah, instead, it's just like, they'll be like, and we've got a match for the 24-7 title. And it's, yeah, like Reginald flips around, ends up winning with the fucking roll up. And then then all of a sudden everyone shows up. So I just, I don't entirely get it. It, I think it was probably at its best when they were kind of like trying to loop some celebrities in, you know, Gronk had it. I think like some race car driver had it for a, a day on Twitter. 
and then had you know the world's funniest like roll up where they had to make sure they didn't like tear his hamstring pulling him too tough um but yeah it's I, I fear that it's very quickly running its its route unless they are willing to commit to either some of you know maybe maybe you tone down the violence because it has been pretty funny that everything is one via roll up that the roll up has become like the cheat code <laughs> it's like if someone has the 24 7 title it's like you know I think back to Attitude Era that like when I read the 24-7 rule sum up, it was like so-and-so held it eight times. So held once, one of Godfather's hoes. So like I would really much appreciate if just like you had like someone from catering do it or like the kid that Braun Strowman won the tag titles with came and like rolled someone up. But no, it's it's confusing. And I think I think ugly is a very fine point because the other thing is that that feels like the kiss of death. Like if you if you get put into the 24-7 feud and you're not like, you know, our truth or maybe Tozawa just at this point because he has like a class action lawsuit worth of bullshit in his uh arsenal. But yeah, I think I think that's a tough one. It was a fun idea, but I think it's not its course. I mean, don't get me wrong, like because of Reginald's skill set, like it's kind of fun, I guess. But there's also the aspect of it too, where he's kind of in that realm of um, we saw this a lot in the older the MMA guys, WWE, where it's like, are they actually good at what they do, or do they have like one trick that they can execute as long as nobody like touches them and you give them ample room to, you know. I mean, hell, Ken Shamrock made a career out of the, the ankle lock and not much else, but um, it's just that's kind of where I'm at with it, where it's like, can he even wrestle or is he just an incredibly athletic gymnast slash parkour artist who you know you're just gonna let him do his thing and other than that we're hiding the fact that he can't wrestle no i think that's good um i think i'm i'm getting close to being run dry but the one thing i'll, I'll put in the good and this is probably my my teaser you know to put it in industry terms is I think the good, because we touched on a little bit, is going to be the SummerSlam main event. I think Reigns versus Cena is going to be fascinating um, because I think match-wise, Roman's been wrestling the best of his career. You know, he, he's just striking hard. He finally lost the shirts and looks imposing. And Cena, you know, for so long, you know, getting derided for his lack of skills in the ring. Daniel Bryan's epic line of, I wear this shirt as a parody of you because you're a parody of wrestling, you know, which wasn't even true at the time, but was possibly the greatest burn in wrestling. But it was, it's going to be a great match. But I just, from the like bigger picture view, just want to know with Cena's star being as high and bright as it is right now, the smart move is to keep Reigns rolling as the evil head of the table and to beat Big Match John. But like, can WWE fight? And you know, when I say that, I mean Vince McMahon. Can he fight that urge to be like, well, John's got a lot of press coming up, and we gotta, we gotta make sure that belt's on Good Morning America when he's talking about the next movie. So. I just am really curious to see it because it feels like everything says that Roman should win, but then it just begs the question of, you know, Cena kind of does his whole, like, I'm coming back, I'm coming to stay. I think the Peacemaker TV show might have already filmed and it's a TV show, so maybe it's a bit shorter, but 
Yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. And that's probably the match that I'm the most intrigued from the like bigger, you know, this is what makes us real wrestling nerds. It's not just like, is Edge going to win or is Seth going to win? It's like, who's going to win and what does it mean for the grand scheme of like the business model? So that's that's my good. But I think we got a barn burner of a match and I think we got some real talking points uh, coming once we see the winner. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, again, my tinfoil hat is telling me that Cena will lay down so that The Rock can come back and take the title from Roman. But um, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that that to me would be the ultimate. And I, you know, for many, many reasons, I would absolutely love to see that. But I totally agree with you. It's all in Vince's hands, and that's very much on brand to be like, no, no, give him the title. We need, we're getting more buzz on Good Morning America. So, man, um, that that tinfoil hat though, that's a good one because you got the the Uso family, the entire table beating Cena down after the match, and the rock music hits, and all of a sudden standing face to face, you got the inner family. Oh man, Matt, that that happens, and I'm. I might have to just get a tinfoil hat to have sit next to me for these episodes. Well, especially too, when you consider that like one of Roman's biggest strengths right now is actually his mic skills for being yeah. a guy who like was marble mouth for so much of his shield run. Like the guy actually is pretty phenomenal on what he's doing. And so now I I'm not saying he's going to hang with the rock, but I mean, it would be pretty nice. Cause you know, he would absolutely shred the Usos. <laughs> So. oh man that 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 would be rough that would be the ultimate like no matter what they told the rock to do or not do he'd just go out there and be like the, you know shut your mouth with your two duis just like okay there it is <laughs> yep he, he went right there but then also yeah. too yeah just that whole you know the, the whole tribal chief element with the two cousins like that would just be so awesome but we can hope. We can hope. And honestly, I think that's a great one to leave off on because I'm excited for SummerSlam for all the reasons you listed. And uh, here's hoping that they continue to give us amazing talent and amazing matches ahead so we can continue to make crazy lists like this one here. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.